Today, I want to preach about the church at Pergamos, the bread, the stone, and the new name. The bread, the stone, and the new name. Listen to what God's Word says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Verse 12 of Revelation 2 says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. And did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of, of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Amen. This is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's message to the church at Pergamos. Pergamos is about 65 miles north of Smyrna. We looked Wednesday at the church in Smyrna, and now we've headed 65 miles north up the road, and we're at the, the city of Pergamos. And Pergamos was known for its beauty, for being wealthy, and having financial prosperity. But even though it had beauty and they were wealthy and financial prosperity, Jesus says that this is the city where Satan's throne is. Satan's throne. Some suggest, some theologians believe that this is figurative, that, uh, that uh, Jesus is talking about, this is a reference to the emperor. There were, there were two temples that were built, big temples that were built in Pergamos. One was to worship the previous emperor of Rome, and the other was to wor worship the present emperor of Rome. And so some believe when John was writing this and he said Satan's throne is in Pergamos, they believe it's figurative. They believe he's talking about the emperor because of the oppression and persecution that he was bringing against the Christians. And so it was so bad in Pergamos until John says that's where the throne of Satan is. I don't believe it was figurative. I believe it's literal. I believe that literally Satan had a throne in Pergamos because I believe there's a devil. I know some of y'all are educated and sophisticated and elevated, and you don't believe in the devil. You don't believe that there's a Satan. You have 
tried to modernize Satan out of existence. You tried to intellectualize the devil out of existence. You believe in evil, but you don't believe in the devil. Yo, and there is some evil disorder in some of us. But yo, it's not only some evil disorder in some of us, there's the devil working on some of us. Matter of fact, they're talking about that's where the throne of Satan was, was in Pergamos at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna. Jesus said that Satan had his own synagogue. He had his own, Satan had his own crowd. He had his own congregation. No wonder that poet said where God erects a house of prayer, Satan builds a chapel there. And twill be found on examination that the devil has the largest congregation. This is, this is not only a city known for its beauty and, and how people are so wealthy and financial have prosperity, but this is where the throne of Satan is. The influence of Satan is in the city of Pergamos. And you know Satan is the father of lies. That's why Jesus said, I'm the one that has a two-edged sword in his mouth, the Word of God, a two-edged sword, a sword that is sharpened on both sides, a sword that can pierce the heart, the sword that can divide, the sword that can penetrate, the sword that can cut. He's talking about the Word of God because we need the truth from the Word because this is where Satan lives. He's the father of lies. And we need, you, we need to understand we're in the midst of spiritual warfare. And in the midst of spiritual warfare, Paul said, you got to put on the whole armor of God. You're going to need the helmet of salvation. You're going to need the breastplate of righteousness. You're going to need the belt of truth. You're going to need the shield of faith. You're going to need your feet uh, prepared with the gospel of God. And, and you're going to need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how we fight against the lies. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, talks about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, can penetrate even the soul and the spirit of a person. It's powerful. It's alive. And it can address the heart issues that so many of us have. Because we got to fight against the lies of the devil. We got to fight against the deception of the devil. So the sword of the Word of God can be used offensively as we attack the lies and the deception of the devil. He's the father of lies, which means every lie that's ever been told, Satan planted the seed. You and I can't even lie without the devil. Every lie that's ever been told, Satan planted the seed. He's the father of lies. And the Bible says, Jesus said, all Satan has come to do is to steal, kill, and destroy. Father lies come to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, in the movie Ray, where it depicted Ray Charles, that wonderful uh, producer of music and writer and singer and all that kind of stuff, in that movie, Jamie Foxx played Ray. Matter of fact, he played Ray Charles so well, I kept thinking I was looking at Ray Charles. In that movie, Ray Charles, he accused one of his employees of stealing from him. And so the employee is saying, Ray, we've been together a long time. You know me better than that. I would never steal from you. And Ray Charles said, cut a lie, find a thief. Cut a lie, 
find a thief. Satan's the father of lies. When you cut those lies, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Yo, the Word of God, God gives us truth to develop us. Satan uses lies and deceit to destroy us. Whenever there are lies, destruction comes after that. Um, when the pandemic first started, COVID-19, the highest-ranking government official in the United States of America started off lying about COVID-19. It's a hoax. It's not real. Then kept on lying. It's here, but it ain't going to be here long. You don't have to worry about anything. And just kept on lying until more than one million people in the United States died from COVID-19. Now, people were going to get sick anyway. People were going to die anyway. But it didn't have to be a million people. But when there are lies, lies destroy. Y'all ain't saying amen to this. January the 6th, that insurrection that took place at our nation's capital, seven people died when, when the nation's capital was stormed like that. Seven people, including a police officer who was there to protect and serve. And the reason they were there and the reason those people died was because of a lie about the presidential election being stolen. The presidential election was not stolen. That was our way of saying, you are fired. We don't want this no more. And federal judges all throughout the nation, some that he put on the board, they're the ones that said, there was no deception. There was no lying that was going on. There was no cheating in the election. But y'all, so many people died because lies lead to destruction. God uses his truth to develop us. And so Jesus said, I got, I got the word. I got a two-edged sword. And you and I got to get back in the word of God. You and I got to get back to reading the Word. We got to get back to meditating on the Word. We got to get back to listening to people preach and teach the truth that comes from that Word. The Word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my pathway. How can Psalm 119, how can a young person cleanse their way? By taking heed to the Word of God. David said, hide your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of God's Word. Y'all, this world will be on fire and God's Word is still going to be standing. Jesus said, I have that Word. It's the sword in my mouth. Two-thirds of our nation are in, depress in depression right now. Two-thirds. And many of them are our own children, young people, with suicidal thoughts, suicidal actions, so much depression. And, and, and a lot of times it's from people that had no mental health issues in their family history and yet depressed. And that depression is not just going on in the world. It's made its way into our churches. And But Jesus says... When you get this word in you, it penetrates. It, you can internalize it. It gets in your heart. Uh, there's, they, they, now they, they come up, praise God, with technology to address depression, that chemical imbalance in somebody's brain. And we go to get therapy, and sometimes the therapy just doesn't, doesn't happen. I, I believe in therapy. I know some people tell you all you need is Jesus. You need Jesus and a therapist. You need both. Because the Holy Spirit has given people the spiritual gift of wisdom, given people the spiritual gift of knowledge, given people the spiritual gift of exhortation. They're the ones who become the, the, the therapists. 
But sometimes it hasn't worked. And then sometimes we use medicine. And sometimes that medicine doesn't help with the chemical imbalance. Now they've come up with a nerve stimulator. A nerve stimulator. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like a, a pacemaker type device that they place on the inside of a person. And then it's, it's connected to a nerve in the neck. And these electrical impulses from the nerve stimulator sends a message to the brain. And now it starts to relieve the, uh, the depression. And the depression starts to leave. Yo, that's how God's Word operates. That God knows a lot of us are in depression. But when you get the Word of God on the inside of you, it starts sending messages to your brain. All things work together for good to them that love God. It starts sending messages to your brain. No weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. It sends a message to your brain. Sit here on my right hand while I make your haters your footstool. It sends a message to your brain. Nothing shall separate you from the love. Is there anybody that know that God will give you joy that the pandemic didn't give you and, it, and the pandemic can't take it away? He, Jesus said, I, I, I got this sword, and I'm going to use it offensively to attack the lies and the deceit of Satan, because I know he lives in your city. Then he says, the sword of the Word of God can be used defensively against false doctrine. He said, not only are you being deceived by the devil, because, you know, the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light and fool even the very elect. But then you got to deal with false doctrine. He says, he says, Pergamus, I know y'all got some good work. I know y'all got a lot of good things happening in the church despite the attacks of the devil. But, but I also know y'all let some false doctrine come into this church. He says, you got some folk in there that have connected with the doctrine of Balaam. And y'all got some people in there that's connected with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. These are religious sects. These are religious groups, and their doctrine doesn't line up with that sword of the Word in the mouth of Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, y'all can't keep listening to this false doctrine and think everything's going to be all right. The, the doctrine of Balaam, some of y'all remember Balaam in the Old Testament, Book of Numbers, King Balak wanted uh, to, matter of fact, he was going to pay Balaam to curse the people of God. He's paying Balaam to curse the Israelites. And Balaam tried to curse the Israelites. But y'all, you can't bless what God, you can't curse what God has already blessed. So he went to curse them, but God had already blessed them. And you cannot curse what God has already blessed. But when he couldn't curse them, what he did was he used Mennonite women to corrupt them. Because some of us, we're not cursed, but we're corrupted. We, we've, we've compromised. He had, he had Mennonite women to go up to Israelite men and seduce them into worshiping these graven images and idol gods. So they were pulling them away from Jehovah, pulling them away from the only true and living God. And now they, they're, they're eating meat that's been sacrificed to idol gods. They're getting caught up in sexual immorality. And because not curse, but corrupt. 
And some of us, we've given our faith to Jesus Christ. We know what it means to be saved. You, the way you get saved, you believe Jesus died on the cross. You believe God raised him from the dead. You receive him by faith. And now you are so blessed that not even the devils in hell can curse you. But some of us, we're not cursed. We corrupt, though. And we've been enticed. We've been seduced. And we're moving further and further away from God and following all kinds. We, we've compromised ourselves. We sitting up here trying to have God and the world. You can't serve two masters. Y'all ain't helping me preach this. If you try to serve two masters, you're going to love one, you're going to hate the other, you're going to cling to one, you're going to let loose the other. You can't serve God and money. You got to make up in your mind. And it's not only the doctrine of Balaam, it's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I could get into Gnosticism and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, but just know this, Jesus hates that doctrine. And Jesus hates their practices. Anything that doesn't line up with God's Word is false doctrine. That's why we need to get in the Word to know if other stuff is lining up with the Word. Because, y'all, this is, this is about idolatry and sexual immorality. Idolatry. Because they're eating food that had been sacrificed to an idol god. Here's how, in the first century, here's those pagan gods, idol gods, what the people who follow them would do is they'll take an animal, slay that animal, they burn a portion of the animal as an offering to the idol god. Then they would eat the rest of it. That's, so it's a part of this worship experience that they have. And then I told you about the two temples that worship the emperors. Well, they had temple prostitutes at the temple. And, and so at the temple prostitutes, as a part of the worship service, they would have intercourse with these temple prostitutes. That's sexual immorality because all the prostitutes are not on street corners. Y'all ain't helping me with this. <laughs> There's some, let me keep moving. Let me stick. And that sexual immorality is getting in our way. That's why Paul said, don't you know that your body is the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Y'all, we cannot turn our back on God and start walking away from the Lord and then get caught up in every kind of sexual act you can think of and think it's all right because God loves me. Yeah, God does love you, but that's still wrong. Preach, Jeffrey Johnson. I'm doing the best I can. That's what was happening there. They were being corrupt. They were compromising even though they were a part of the church at Pergamos. And Jesus said, this false doctrine is messing you up. That's why I've come with a two-edged sword, the Word of God in my mouth. There was a young man who was a member of our church. When I tell y'all, he was committed to the church. He never missed Sunday, never missed a Bible study. Every, every Bible study, he showed up, and he would always speak to me at the Bible study. Young man. And one day he walked up to me at the Bible study and said, Pastor Johnson, I'm thinking about starting to read the book of the Mormons, and I wanted to know what, what do you think about it? I said, well, why do you want to read the Book of the Mormons anyway? He said, well, because I saw a commercial with the Mormons, and they said, Jesus said that I have sheep that are not of this fold, and uh, don't you want to know what those sheep have written in their book? And I said, they're right. Jesus did say I have sheep that are not of this fold, and perhaps they have written some stuff in a book that you might want to know. But I asked him this. Have you read these 66 books yet? 
He said, no, Pastor, I haven't read those 66. I said, why don't you read these 66 books first so you can know what the other books are saying? This is the acid test for truth. The Bible is the acid test for truth. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, it comes from the devil. Y'all, y'all not getting this. He's the father of lies. That's why we need the Word. Get in that Word so you can recognize right or wrong. You can recognize good or evil. But it's the Word of God that is the acid test for that. And then here's, here's what Jesus told him. He said, all right, y'all been listening to the lies of Satan. You've been deceived. You've been following false doctrine. You've compromised. You've gone outside God's will. You, you've caught up in sexual immorality. He says, but I'm not finished with you. You're right. He still loves you. And he says, now, you need to repent. People keep thinking that repentance means a change of changing your ways. Repentance doesn't mean changing your ways. Repentance means changing your mind. And when you change your mind, then you will change your ways. So you've rejected Jesus repent, change your mind. Now accept Jesus. You've been walking away from Christ and his church. Repent, change your mind and come back to Christ and his church. It's a, it's a changing of your thinking. And Jesus says that when you change your thinking, he said, well, let me, let me do this too, because he did tell them this. I know y'all been influenced by the devil. I know y'all been following false thoughts. He said, but one good thing I can say about y'all, y'all held on to my name. In the midst of all that was going on, the persecution, the oppression, the martyrs in the church and all of that, people getting killed, people getting arrested who were Christians. But one thing I say about y'all at this church, y'all held on to my name. That's what Jesus said. And some of y'all ain't saying amen because you don't know the kind of name Jesus has. Matter of fact, he's got more than one name. When you go through what you go through, even in the face of persecution, even as you face your problems and your pains, even in your depression, you better hold on to his name. And thank God, he's got more than one name, which means I can hold on to the name that I need for the season of what I'm going through right now. Boy, had y'all said amen, I could have kept on rolling. He's... He, Jesus, the son, of, the son of God, has different titles and names in the Scripture. Each title and each name gives us a different understanding of the nature and the character of Jesus. Y'all, in the Bible, in the Bible days, Hebrew people didn't name their children by cities and the names of chariots. But y'all catch it on the way home. He, they named their children based on character, nature, destiny. And, and, and that's why, <laughs> well, let me, because I know y'all think I'm being judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. My mother, by the time my mother was 22 years old, she was married with four children. I'm the youngest of the four. She's 22, four children. And, and then, of course, I get called to preach as a teenager. God blessed me, one of the greatest churches in the world. I preach the gospel different parts of the country and world. And people would ask my mother, did you ever see that when he was young? Did you notice anything about your son that you knew he would preach and he would pastor? And this was the kind of anointing that he had on his life. And my mother said, no, if I had had any inkling that he would do any of this, then I would have given him a biblical name. <laughs> she didn't give me a biblical name. She, I'm, I'm named after a character in a soap opera. That's what a 22-year-old immature woman 
watching soap operas. I'm a name, and not the name of the actor, the name of the character in the soap opera. I mean, she could have named me Jalen. That's in the Bible. She could have named me Jeremiah. That's in the Bible. She could have named me Joshua or Jordan. She could have named me Josiah. No, she names me after a character in, in a soap opera. But here's the thing. I guess I could have changed my name when I met Jesus because in the Bible, when people are named, if their character changes, because they're named based on character and nature. So if their nature or character changes, then their name changed. Abram believed in more than one God. He was polytheistic like everybody else in Genesis in his community. But when he met Jehovah, the only true and living God, and God told him, I'm going to bless you with a son, and through your descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. His name was changed from Abram to Abraham, the father of the faith. Jacob, whose name means trickster, manipulator, schemer, he's the first thug in Scripture. But when he wrestled with that angel all night long, said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. The angel changed his nature, so he changed his name from Jacob the thug to Israel, one who strides with God and succeeds. Saul was going around persecuting the church and putting Christians in prison, but then he met Jesus on that Damascus road. And when he put his faith in Jesus, Jesus changed his nature. That's why he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And I know I got a witness in here somewhere that you are in Christ, and if anyone be in Christ, you are a new creation. Your nature changed. So when you talk about Jesus' name and titles, it helps us to understand who he is. So here's what you do. Hold on to the name or title of Jesus that you need in the season that you're in. Okay. Uh, you're, you're, in a, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. You're not a child of God. Then you can, you can call his name Jesus because he'll save people from their sins. And you hold on to that name. You're dealing with sickness, disease, and a disorder. The Bible says Jesus is the great physician. <laughs> he's Jehovah Rapha. He's, he's the God that heals. You hold on to that even in the time of your sickness. Or maybe you're, dealing, you're one of the ones dealing with that mental health issue and you're dealing with depression. Uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. <laughs> you're talking about a therapist. He's a wonderful counselor. He'll keep your heart and mind in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Hold on to his name that you got to deal with injustice in the injustice system. You got to go to court. Well, Jesus is an advocate to the Father. He's a lawyer that never lost a case. You, you're in a jam. You're in a tight. You're in a fix. He's not just a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He'll make a way out of nowhere. Hold on to the name. Your father walked out on you. He's everlasting father. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You are having confusion and chaos. He is the Prince of Peace. Hold on to his name. I guess y'all don't know that God has given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee got to bow, every tongue's got to confess. You got to hold on to his name even in persecution and problems. And some of y'all just about ready to let go, just about ready to throw in the towel. So Jesus shows up and says, you better keep holding on to my name if you're going to make it. This was in, in 2009. Some NFL players and a friend of theirs, three NFL players and a friend, they went on this, they took a boat. They had a 21-foot boat 
and they went uh, to the Gulf of Mexico. They out boating, doing their thing, and fishing and all that, and something wasn't quite right with the anchor. The boat wasn't anchored right, and the boat ends up being upended. And these are football players, so they're trying to, to turn it over, but how you do that in the middle of nowhere in the water? And they couldn't turn the boat back over. They swim under, get the life vest and put them on, and they're waiting, but they're waiting so long. They're tired, they're hungry, they're dehydrated in the middle of nowhere. You couldn't even see land from where they were. But they're football players. They're some of the best athletes in the world. And those who are athletes, y'all know how y'all are. Mind over body. I'll just swim on my own. And so they took off their life vests and started swimming, thinking that they'll hit land somewhere. And the three that took off swimming are the ones that died. The one that stayed with the boat, he's the one that survived. He's sitting there with his life vest on. He's all by himself. He's, he's thirsty. He's hungry. He's, he's, he doesn't know how things are going to turn out, but he never left the boat. That's why he got saved. That's how he survived. That's why he's thriving right now. Preacher, what does that have to do with us? When I was a youngster growing up, we used to sing a song called, Tis the Old Ship of Zion. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Get on board, get on board. It has landed many a thousand. Get on board, get on board. King Jesus is the captain. Get on board. Then when you get on board this ship, this old ship of Zion, y'all, you got to take your life vest of God's salvation and you just got to hold on and don't leave the boat. Everybody that knows anything about boating, when your stuff is jacked up, you know to never leave the boat. And I'm trying to tell you, even when stuff gets jacked up in the city that we live in, that the devil has his throne here, you hold on to God's name. Jesus said, I'm going to show up. Let me get to the thing I've been trying to get to here. He says that when I show up, when you repent, he says that I'm, I'm going to provide the hidden manna for you. The hidden manna, yeah. Uh, that, that's the manna that's going to help you with your substance and your sustenance and your strength. The hidden manna. Y'all ain't saying amen to manna. Yep. When, when Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage, came across the Red Sea on their way to Canaan, the promised land, they're in the wilderness for 40, 40 years. And at one point they were in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere and they were hungry. It's two million of them. The count was 600,000 men. They didn't count women and children. If it's 600,000 men, some suggest it's two million people in the middle of nowhere, in the desert, in the wilderness with no food. But then they begin to pray. And God sent them some manna from on high. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven. <laughs> Feed me till I want no more. And now Jesus is saying that in what you're going through in your life, I'm going to send you some hidden manna. Folk will be wondering, how in the world are they sustained? How in the world are they making it through this? Why have they not jumped off a bridge? Because he's giving you manna from on high. Y'all ain't saying amen. When Jesus multiplied the bread and fish for the 5,000 men plus women and children, that's about 20,000 people. He had two pieces of fish, five biscuits, multiplied it, fed them, took up leftovers. They followed Jesus to the other side of the water the next day because they, and all of them came back because they wanted Jesus to multiply some more bread. Jesus said, y'all trying to get me to give y'all physical bread. But he said, y'all need to know I'm the bread of life. He told them that I am the manna. <laughs> 
that Moses and the Israelites got out in the wilderness. I'm the one that took care of them. Y'all, and then he told them this, you got to eat of my body. You got to drink of my blood. It's more than just going through physical things when it comes to the church. We have to internalize Jesus. He's the bread of life. We got to get him on the inside. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We have to internalize. He gives us hidden manna. Y'all, the children of Israel would have died in that wilderness experience. No food, no bread, nothing to eat. They would have died. Why didn't they die? Because God gave them manna from on high. Y'all, the, the name Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, Balaam means consumer of people. Nicolaitans, th that same thing, the destroyer of people. Because you've been straying from Christ, because you've connected with the, the consumer of people, because you've connected with the destroyer of people, you ought to be dead. But the reason you're not dead is because you repented and I gave you what you need, that manna from on high. Jesus is the manna. He's the bread of life. I got to keep on going because he didn't just give them manna from on high, but Christ provided the stone of victory. He says, I'm going to give you a white stone. Y'all, the white stone there is a stone of victory. We're talking about Pergamos. We're talking about Smyrna and some of these other places. Y'all, they had all kind of athletic events that would take place, athletic competition, all these sports that would take place. Jesus is using this as an illustration. So when somebody would get the victory in those athletic competition, what they would give them is a white rock. And then they would inscribe their name, write their name on the rock so that everybody would know this is the one that got the victory. Now, I, I, when I used to run back in the day, in the olden days, in ancient times when I run, they used to give us blue ribbons. I don't know what the other ribbons look like because I only got blue ribbons. And so they used to give us blue ribbons so that everybody would know this is the one that got the victory, blue ribbons. And in, in, in the world championship games and in, in Olympic games, what they give them are gold medals. And they walk around, the victor walks around with that gold medal on. And everybody knows this is the one that got the victory. Jesus says, I know you live in a city where Satan has his throne. I know you live in a city where Satan lives. I know you had to deal with false doctrine. I know you had to deal with persecution and lies and deception, but everything's going to be all right because when you repent, I'm giving you the stone of victory, and I know I got somebody that could testify, victory is mine, victory is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind because victory today is mine. I got to give you one more and I'm done. He said, all the stuff you've been going through, you held on to my name, but you've been, you've been straying. You haven't been connected to Christ and the church. You've been letting false doctrines and lies and deceit get to you. But if you repent, if you change your mind, I'm going to give you a new name. Oh, man, don't make me rehearse what I just went through, that when somebody is named in the Hebrew, from the Hebrew people, they're named based on nature and character. But when their nature changes, their name changes. And some of us have had a corrupt nature. But Paul says, if anyone be in Christ, they are new creation. And since you are a new creation with a new nature, 
what Jesus said I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a new name that whatever you were known for in your past, you don't have to be known for that now. I'm going to give you a reset. I'm going to give you a restart. I'm going to give you a reconnection. I'm changing your name. I'm giving you a new name. And then watch what he says. It's a name. It's a hidden name. Nobody's going to know the name except the one receiving it. What's so significant about nobody knowing the name? In Bible days, people thought that if folk could get your name, they have power and authority over you. That's why when Jacob wrestled that angel all night long, not going to let you go till you bless me, and then Jacob asked the angel, what is your name? And the angel didn't give him his name because he's letting Jacob know, you ain't going to have power and authority over me. But what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob because I'm going to have power and authority over you. And what Jesus says, with all the hell you're going through, with all the hatred coming at you, with all the white supremacy, with all the racism, with all the ageism, with all the poverty, with all the persecution that you're up against, I'm going to give you a name that nobody is going to hold authority over you. Nobody is going to have the power over you because Jesus is going to give you a name that nobody else knows. Do I have a witness? And when you hold to his name and when you get your new name, there's no telling how high God's going to take you. I got to close. I done held y'all too long. Let me close. it. I'll, I'll close like this. Uh, it was in 2006. Lady Sharon and I went to the Super Bowl. Seattle was playing against Pittsburgh. Great game, too. And we had a chance to go because one of our members hooked us up. She owned her own company at the time, and she took, I don't know, about 10 or 12 of her employees to the Super Bowl, including Lady Sharon and I. We were sitting on the 40-yard line about 10 rows up at the Super Bowl in Detroit. And not only did she uh, buy all of us tickets to the Super Bowl, but then she rented a spot at the Renaissance Center downtown Detroit. It's got like 73 stories. And the Renaissance Center in Detroit has a restaurant on the 71st floor. And I'm telling you, that's a nice place to eat. That's a beautiful, nice, high-class restaurant. And she rented a spot so that she, we, we could all be there. She reserved that spot. So I had to preach that morning. I told her, I'll catch up with y'all at dinner. Then we head on over to the game. When church was over, I said, I'm on my way. Are y'all there? We're already here. We're up here waiting on you. Just give them your name when you get here. So we get there. It's a line of people trying to go up to the 71st floor because some of the Pittsburgh Steelers, some of their family members and friends had rented out that restaurant. They reserved it. And so there was a long line. And so Sharon and I got in this line waiting patiently because we know in a few minutes we're going to be at another level. We're going to the 71st floor. And so we waited in line. We finally get up there. And now, mind you, nobody in the line looked like me. And nobody in that line looked like Sharon. We were the only two that looked like this. And that woman knew, y'all's uh, name ain't on here. So we get up there. She says, sir, what is your name? I said, I'm Jeffrey. This is Sharon. We're the Johnsons. And then she acted like she was checking her list. She was kind. She acted like she was checking. I, I don't have your name on my list. I said, ma'am, I, I got a spot reserved up there. They're waiting on me right now. I just got off the phone with them. 
sir, if your name is not on my list, I cannot allow you to go up. I said, then you need to check your list again. I'm thinking security getting ready to get called. I'm getting up here. Somebody already promised me where I'm going to be, and now you telling me I can't get there? And so we're going back and forth. Here comes somebody from around the corner and said, are y'all the Johnsons? Yes, I'm trying to tell her. I'm Jeffrey. This is Sharon. We're the Johnsons. She said, y'all ain't on that list. Come on, y'all going up over here. I looked at that lady and said, just because I ain't on your list don't mean I ain't going up. God, when you hold on to the name of Jesus and when you let him give you a new name, how many of you know even if you ain't on somebody else's list, he'll get you to where you need to be in the face of your persecution? Though the storms keep on raging in my life and there are times I can't tell the night from day, but this hope that lies within is reassured. As I keep my eyes upon the distant shore, I know he'll lead me safely to that place he has reserved. But if the storms don't see, and if the winds keep on blowing in my life, my soul has been anchored. I said my soul has been anchored. Is there anybody here whose soul is anchored in the Lord? In the Lord, in the Lord, did somebody give him glory in here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all excuse me. Hallelujah.